0: Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning. I can tell you that um, there's no place that I would rather be and nothing that I would rather be doing than preaching the Word of God right now. Um, If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 30. Something that Will and I have in common is that like we are different in personality, but we travel. So I'm going to be walking like this. So you're probably used to that, but just a heads up, I'm really sorry about it. But I think there's a, a, a subtle danger that we face in the church today, and I believe that that danger is being cozy in the world. We, maybe in outward deed and certainly vocally, we, we, we claim that we're not living our best lives now, but I wonder if you were to take account, honestly and seriously, whether or not what we so vehemently claim we don't do, whether or not we actually really are living as if this is our best life now. We live in a consumeristic world, right? We all know this. We, um, we are consumed with money and insta-fame and, and beauty. So this morning in Matthew 19, we certainly will talk about riches, but that's not going to be solely what we do. We won't do anything less than that, but I hope this morning to do much more than that. I hope that we don't just look at this passage of Scripture and say, okay, well, I mean, that ain't me, <laughs> right? There's, there's no problem with money here because I ain't got none, <laughs> right? We're not, we're not going to talk about that alone this morning. I think in Matthew chapter 19 that what we see is that Matthew 19 is telling us and revealing to us the dangers of our awesomeness and the danger that they pose to salvation by grace alone through faith alone. So look with me at Matthew chapter 19, and we'll get right in. Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All of these I have kept what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle Than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you you who will have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have brought us here this morning. We pray that you would submit us to your word, God. May we sit underneath your spoken word this morning, God. We thank you for the the scriptures, Lord, and that you instruct us not merely on how to be saved, but how to live as a saved one, God. I pray that you would make so very little of me this morning and that you would, through me, allow me to herald and exalt and magnify my Lord and Savior this morning, God, may we have attentive hearts, and may we understand that this, Lord, is not just another day, but because we are sitting under your preached word, that what is happening here at this moment is extraordinary, and is life-changing, God. And may it be so. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. As we kind of see here in Matthew 19... The world is really pretty much and always has been infatuated with the idea of eternal life. this This is a question that man has been asking. They argue whether there is even life after death. He contemplates which religion has the right view of eternal life. He makes the case for why eternal life is on the basis of fairness, what's fair and what's unfair. But most of all, at our core... The question we are really asking is right here in Matthew 19, and it's this. What do I have to do to get it? So Matthew 19 is the answer to that question. And here we see that this is a society that values power. It values might and favor and blessing. And and most of those things are equated with having money. This is a culture, much like our own, that is enamored with the nobility and the majesty that all of riches can offer us. And so here this morning, we're going to look at three truths that remind us and warn us that salvation is an impossibility for those who believe they are able to attain it on their own. So we see here the first truth is this, that want of salvation must be more than just intellectual affection. It must be our heart's desire. Here, the rich man is revealing a temptation that's really common to all of us. He is being confronted with the Lord Jesus, and he is wondering what it is that he needs to do to be saved. And he hears what he must do, and his response is one of, I'm good enough. Right? That's the temptation common to all of us when we consider what it might take to gain or inherit eternal life. This is what the world around us, this is what the culture likes to think, is that if I am just good enough, then this is something that I will necessarily receive, right? This is an intellectual understanding that the rich man is possessing. He's relying on his his abilities and his morals and his resources. He's taking account in his mind. He's saying, I've done the law. I've honored my father and my mother. I, I don't see any problem here. But it's an intellectual accounting rather than an accounting of the heart. This is a total misconception on the young man's part. His his thought process goes something like, okay, well, it seems as if God would desire those that are worth being desired. If I'm putting all of this together correctly, then what God would be pleased in is what I have to offer and my ability to please Him. He's totally misunderstanding God. You know what Jesus really wants to hear? from this young man. He wants to say, if you're going to be perfect, I need you to keep the law. He wants this young man, he wants his face to drop, and he wants the young man to look back and say, but but that's not something that I can do. If, if you're telling me perfection is on the basis of keeping the law, then I can't do this. Right, what he's looking is for a disposition of realizing that he is absolutely and never will be good enough, no matter what he thinks he brings to the table. Right? Do we, this 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 is a warning, this is a danger of the intellectual, the well-intended understanding of what salvation is. Right? I think the, I think the rich man is is honestly asking this question. I don't think he's coming to Jesus facetiously. I don't think he's coming to him and saying, okay, well, you know how much you need to divvy up some eternal life. I think he is really, truly, and honestly, like most of the world, wondering what it takes to be saved from death. But unfortunately, in this man's estimation, He sees it as a system of checking the right boxes and then coming to Jesus and telling Jesus that the right boxes have been checked. And it's not true. Look at verse 21 again. Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. What Jesus is not saying is, I need you to somehow gain perfection in this lifetime. If you want to be perfect in this life, then all you need to do is you need to follow the law, and then you're going to get yourself there. The perfection that he's talking about is the same perfection we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus tells his disciples, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. What he's saying is not that you will be perfect on the basis of what you do and you do not do and the actions that you put forth, but your submission of will and heart and desire to that which is God's. He is totally missing the point of what it means to be called to be a disciple of Christ. We're not talking about what you do and do not need to do. It's a matter of the posture of your heart. And so, this intellectual understanding, this conscious driven understanding, this affection, emotional understanding of the gospel, leaves this young man sad when he realizes that I don't actually need you to bring anything to me, but what I need you to do is to give up everything and come and follow me. And the young man can't bear it. You understand why I said in the beginning that I believe that this is a warning to us. In a society, I believe that the church feels so cozy in the world. We have a, such a high tolerance and such a comfort level in the world. And we have our social media, we have our clothes, we have our appearance of how we raise our children before the world. But the danger is totally misunderstanding what's actually necessary of a disciple. You see, the rich young man's problem is not necessarily that he's misunderstanding, the rich young man's problem is that the treasure of his heart is himself. He's caught up in all that he has and all that he can do and all that he can present, his abilities, all of the things that he brings to the table. And for God, for Jesus Christ to ask him to give it up, is, he must have thought, well, if you're telling me to give all this away, then I'm actually giving away the best possible chance I have of getting to heaven. And I can't do that. And Jesus just says, you must This is what you have to do. So we see the second truth is this: that the disposition of the heart for salvation must be that of faith alone. Look again at verse 21. I think this is a really important verse for understanding what is happening here. All right, let's just let's just reaccount. We have this young man coming up to Jesus and wondering. Honestly so, what is it that I need to do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? And he hears the answer he doesn't want to hear, and he goes away sad. But in the midst of all that, we have this little phrase in verse 21. If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Here in verse 21, this this come follow me. I think that this is a this is a deeply theological phrase. But I think that it is also glaringly simple as to what he is asking him to do. I think oftentimes we are so easily so and and, and sometimes rightfully so, we read the scripture from a lens that is really self-focused, but when, when we understand that we're actually reading a narrative, a story that has been given to us, we've got to understand the context of the story. And Jesus, at this moment, is making his way from Galilee into Judea. And if you know anything about what he's going to do in Judea, the call to come and follow him, I don't believe it's necessary, necessarily literal, leave your stuff and come with me, but it certainly has to do with what he will be doing in Judea. And this is the basis of what the rich young man must do. We understand that in Judea, what Jesus is doing is making his way to a cross. Listen, brothers and sisters, the call for this young man to leave everything and to come and to follow him is him needing to give up everything and to identify with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. He is beckoning this young man to come and to see and understand what is going to happen on the cross. He wants him to see that he is about to take the wrath of God for the sins of mankind. He is about to be crushed for everything and every failure of that young man's. He wants him to come and sit and kneel and see the blood run down, the Blood that will cover a multitude of sins for this young man. Right? This is not just a command. This is so much more. This is a way of life. This is a way of identifying with Christ over everything. Leaving and forsaking everything for the sake of Christ. To be a person of the cross. To go there and identify what we see in baptism. To be buried in the likeness of his death. And to raise and walk in the newness of life it's so much more than simply being good enough. It's so much more than having your ducks in a row before you come to Jesus. What he wants to see happen is for this young man to come to the cross and to see that his only plea is the grace and mercy found in Jesus Christ at the pleasure of God the Father. He wants him to abandon everything and be a man of the cross. Do you see? Do you see here the hope for a frail and broken and hurting people? I pray that no one ever looks at my life. And is turned away from the gospel because they believe the gospel is something that they must attain or acquire through a particular way of living. I hope that the story of my life is only that God was gracious and nothing more. The world we live in, people in this room right now are deeply hurt. Some of you are frail and fragile. You've had things happen in your past. You've had things happen this week. And the last thing you feel is desirable. Here's the thing. That is exactly where Jesus wants you to be. If you are in this room this morning And you've got it all together, if you're here this morning and you believe that your attendance here or because you've paid it forward a few times is what will cause you to stand before God, it will not be so. What what Jesus is wanting from this young man and what he's wanting from us is he is just wanting us to cry out in our brokenness and our hurt and our pain and cry out to him and just plea that I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to give you. I don't even really feel as if I can come before you, but here I am. I think this is the point behind Ephesians chapter 2 that Brad read. I want to read that again. Ephesians chapter 2, just verses 1 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Brothers and sisters, what this young man can't comprehend. Is that the love of God is completely unconditional? There is nothing that this young man can do to make God love him. And what a wonderful truth for dirty, rotten sinners. May we never be a church. Or a believer that projects something that isn't true of God, namely that God's love is conditioned on what you bring to the table. I think that what the young man doesn't understand is that he's not just broken. There's not just something that needs to be fixed about him. There's not just something that needs to be amended so he can get into heaven. What he doesn't understand is that he is utterly dead in sin. And what he doesn't understand is that coming to Jesus is not just a fix. It is life. The danger for us is that we ever get to the point where we believe that we are living our best life now because I assure you, you are not. The danger is to settle in and be cozy amongst the world and for them to see us really No differently as they are, and by far much worse, to see God not as He really is. This is not just about being rich. There is great danger where there is great wealth, but there is great danger where there is also a great following. There's also great danger where there is a great man in his own eyes. If we look at this this morning and say, this really has nothing to do with me, it does. I have preached annoyingly so over and over again this truth to my life. And just take an assessment and account of even what I do when I pick up my phone and the intentions and the wickedness of my heart to have men see me and to approve of me and to click that phone and see how many likes that picture got. And it is not about that. If you think that you are utterly susceptible to what we are talking about this morning, you're not. That's why this is a warning, and that's why that this is a danger and a temptation common to man. This is not one young man in history. This is one young man in a line of a multitude of young men throughout time. So the story progresses in a way that causes us to lift our eyes. Right? As, as Jesus is meeting with him and the young man goes off, the, di- the disciples, they come in and they've got some questions and Jesus has got some things to tell them. And as the reader, we're kind of right there with the disciples. Right? We understand, right? We, we get salvation, we know all of that stuff. Right? We know that it's by grace alone, through faith alone. But really, I think if we're honest, as we're reading through this, we're kind of wondering with the disciples too, well, like, I mean, who then can, like, who can be saved? Right? I don't know necessarily that this was a bad guy, right? He seems like a respectable, upstanding young man that's willing to come out in public and ask Jesus a humiliating question like, hey, I don't know how to get eternal life, how might I go about doing that? So the story causes us to lift our eyes and to think and to ask where our hope can be found. And this is exactly what the disciples do in verse 25. If this rich man can't inherit the kingdom of God, then who can? Right, because they don't get it. They don't understand. In a culture that is enamored with riches and wealth and nobility and the supposed blessing of God for your money they don't get it they're not quite making this connection yet and so they really desperately are asking if if he can't do it then what about us do you know where we came from i eat fish every day thought that would get maybe a few more chuckles than the front row, but whatever. Thank you, evangelistas. (laughs) And so here as we go forward and, and look at the last truth, we see that what Jesus does is that he reveals the glory of the grace and mercy of God in salvation. Here's what we need to understand this morning. If this is our struggle, if having the eyes of men look upon us as we live in our awesomeness is a struggle for you, then there is great hope. You, you are not barred from heaven for being a fallen sinner, This morning, if you are here and you are hurt and you are broken and you have been abused in your past, then there is great hope. You are not left behind. Because the same grace and mercy is the same grace and mercy for the the greatest person in the eyes of man and the least person in the eyes of man. So that's where Jesus brings us to. You know, it's not really hard to exalt Christ and magnify him when you're preaching his words. So we have this uh, ancient proverb in verse 23 that Jesus gives. Verse 23 and verse 24. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Let's think about that for a moment. I believe with all of my heart that what Jesus is saying here is that it is impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. We, we chuckle, but there are countless biblical scholars that try to prove this truth away. Why? Because this is not fun to read. This is not common to the fallen nature of man to hear and to say amen to. Because money is power. Money is success. Having a ton of Instagram followers is power. It's success. Having awesome kids that are petrified of you at community group is power and success. That one I'm not really joking about. I think that is... That is the closest you will arrive on this earth, I believe. <laughs> right? What, what, what we end up doing is, is creating these false notions of what holiness actually is. We end up seeing holiness is, is much more about what we have to offer than how we're willing to submit and with reckless abandon kneel at the cross of Christ. So here this this poor rich young man he is trying to fit a camel through the eye of a needle because what he is doing the mistake that he is making Here's our third truth. The reality is that we don't get salvation. We are graciously entered into it. Read those words another time. The reality is we don't get salvation. We are graciously entered into it. The rich young man is trying to put a camel through the eye of a needle because what he is doing is trying to inherit eternal life as if it is merely one more advantage in life. It's one more thing that he can add to his tool belt of success in this life. Oh, if you don't see the danger and the warning of that, please do. This is not just some something that's an advantageous possession to have. What we understand about Jesus saying, Come and follow me, is that it's not a it's not an advantage, it is a journey that you are entered into and put upon. Right? This is a life walk that you will live. This is not come to church, get your fire insurance, and go live as you please. It's not come, get it, and go. It's come and enter into the struggle that is the Christian life, the daily joys that you have and the successes and the blessings and the grace and the mercy of God, but also the struggle of the, of the process of sanctification, the trials and the suffering and the deaths and the unknown and the questions and the wondering, does God hear? Is he here? Is he still with me? Is he guiding me? That is What eternal life is. It's the process of going through this life and being sanctified and being a person of the cross. Being a person that desires the things of God more than anything else. The person that turns the other cheek and says, please, just a little bit harder. It's the type of person that doesn't gossip, they won't gossip. Because what I'm living for is not worth all of this nonsense. So verse 25, who can, who can be saved? If it's not these people that have it all together, if it's not the people that our culture lift up before us, then who is it? If it's not the humanitarians, if it's not the Bill Gates of the world, if it's not the guy in front of me at McDonald's that pays for my meal, if it's not Mother Teresa, if it's not the people that are overly emotional about religion, If it's not the people that are driven and conscious, bound, then who is it? So Jesus tells us exactly who it is. Look in verse 14 of the same chapter. Chapter 19, verse 14. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Do you know who inherits eternal life? It's those who by faith have relinquished all control of their life and cried out that they have no hope in the world. Those who are willing to come and stand underneath the word of God and every word. It's those that have with reckless abandon left and forsaken everything and gone out. No matter if it meant parent struggles, if you are leaving family behind, if it makes it much more difficult at work, if you and your spouse are now at odds... With childlike faith, they have given it all up and they have gone full steam ahead. Do we understand that when Jesus says, come and follow me and see all that I will do at the cross, that that is just an act of faith? Come and see all that I will do. And not only there, but the fact that I will die for you that I will shed my blood for you and that I will conquer death and I will not stay there. Come and be washed in the blood and raise and walk. Put off your sin and live life in pursuit of the things of Christ. Live now as your Father in heaven lives in perfection. Be a person of of deep passion and desire for the things of God. Jesus tells us here at the end of this story that the ones that will inherit eternal life are the ones that the world looks at now and says, you're in last place. But God says, no. That's not true. Because those who are first here will surely be last. Brothers and sisters, are you willing to forsake everything? Are you willing to be absolutely nothing for the sake of Christ? When I, um, when I was young, one of my, my favorite things to do with my dad was to go out on a, a cold winter day and uh, feed the horses when it was snowing. I have very, very fond memories of those times with my dad. You know, when I, was, when I was just a little guy and we were making our way through the field, I was so reliant on my father's footsteps in the snow. I didn't usually know where we were going or how we would get there. But I did know that if I could, could jump and make the leap to the next step, I'd get there. You know, at times when I was walking through the field behind my father, I felt maybe the steps were just a little too far for me. At times it seemed like he maybe got too far ahead of me. And that maybe I wouldn't be able to keep up and a snowstorm would come in and blow the tracks away and I would just be left to find my way. Other times I felt too battered by the cold. I thought, my feet are too cold, my hands are too cold, my face hurts from the wind. Can't go on. But here's the thing, despite the circumstance or my pain or my angst, my father always made sure I reached my destination. He knew something for a fact that I only knew by faith. You know, that's a pretty warm and and fuzzy story. It's a true story. But I must tell you that my heavenly father has been infinitely more intent on delivering me through his grace Time and time and time again. How do we know that we're not following in vain? How do we know that forsaking the world? How do we know that obedience and reckless abandon and pursuit of Christ is worth it? How do we know that this is not a vain endeavor? I want to tell you just to look back at the many times that you should have stumbled in this Christian walk and fallen away. Look back to the times of trial and suffering and tribulation to where there is no earthly reason or logic as to why you are here this morning. My life is full of moments like that. I am 28 years old and I have more times where I thought there was no hope than I would care to ever have. Listen, if you are here this morning, I feel you. I can identify with you. I have had nothing ever to give Christ, and yet it pleases him today to give me a beautiful family and wonderful children and to put a nasty man like me on a platform like this to deliver his word and to herald his gospel of grace and mercy. There's no reason for that. Even in the most desolate of times, the evidence of God's undeserved grace is there, like footprints in the snow. So this morning, the truth is this, if you haven't been listening, if you disagree with me, I want you to hear this. This is the truth you need only answer the call of Jesus to come follow me. With reckless abandon this morning, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, whether this is the first time that you've heard the gospel or the 1,000th time, with reckless abandon, pursue Him, and He will surely deliver you, for He will not let us stumble. God is abundantly good, more so than we will ever deserve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it can be an encouragement to us. We thank you that it can simultaneously, Lord, convict us and heal us at the same time. God, we thank you that in your infinite wisdom, you know what we need. You know that we need this morning, Matthew chapter 19, that we need to hear the gospel anew as we do every Sunday from this pulpit. God, I pray this morning that you would relinquish us of the desire and the pursuit of this world, God. I pray that you make us real uncomfortable here in the world. God, help us to get over ourselves. God, help us to see that all around us, people need to hear the gospel, our neighbors, those that are working and serving us at fast food restaurants and, and, and dine-in restaurants and at the movies and wherever we are on the ball field or in, in the prayer meeting. God, may we never assume anything about anyone, but may we be about your gospel in all things and in every moment we pray. We thank you for your son. We thank you that the truth is always and forever simply that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sin and that those who have faith and believe in him can be forgiven of a multitude of sin. God, it is nothing that we bring. It is nothing that we could ever bring. It is merely a cry to you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.